Doug Smith joins the podcast today, a multinational executive making an impact to people every day. I've had the opportunity to meet with Doug when he first joined Microsoft Canada, and immediately what stood out for me was his care, his ability to listen, learn, and build a culture of trust with his teams that he represents. I've also had the opportunity to listen to some of Doug's many educational talks to leaders on topics like diversity and inclusion and self-care. He continues to inspire the organization that he represents, but above and beyond that, make an impact to customers, to partners, and the overall ecosystem that he's responsible for at Microsoft. I've asked Doug to come on today to share a little bit about his story, to talk a little bit about what leadership means to him and some of the learnings that he's had along the way. Doug, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Super excited to have you. Thanks, Rashan. So excited to be a part of this with you. And uh, uh, thanks for all those accolades. I'm not sure they're all deserving, but uh, <laughs> I, I look forward to the conversation. Yeah, I got to say, your, your humility is very, very admirable. And, you know, uh, you, carry, you carry some some really large and senior roles in your career with a lot of people, a lot of customers, large businesses that you're responsible for. And before I get into some of those roles, right, I'd love to talk a little bit about the early days, like how you started and how you transitioned into the role that you're in today. Well, um, my first role at Microsoft uh, 29 years ago um, was wow. a, a TCP IP developer uh, in a product group that we had called Microsoft Land Manager. Uh, it's a product that we bought from 3Com. Uh, and um, at the time, Microsoft had bridged-based protocols. Uh, NetBuoy was one of them. And uh, so we were moving into the routed protocol space. And uh, I was working... Uh, in Washington, D.C. as a defense contractor doing uh, DARPA net work, so TCP IP stuff. And um, Microsoft was interested in me uh, because of my TCP IP background. I was interested in Microsoft because they were a uh, small 8,000 person company at the time and projected to do some pretty cool things. And so um, uh, I, I started as a developer working in a team of incredible developers I realized that if I wanted to stay in this company and be successful, it probably needed to be in something other than development. <laughs> uh, good developer, working with great developers. Um, I loved the customer interactions that I had, uh, even though my code wasn't the best code in the world. But it gave me lots of reasons to interact with other customers that were having problems with that code. Right. And um, I got the opportunity to move into Microsoft Consulting Services um, working with networking and uh, help customers implement solutions on our networking software. And uh, that was the start of my journey. And to this day, every job I've had since then has had some customer components to it that was tied to their successful usage of our stuff. And what's really cool is this was many years ago, but now think about the business that we're in today, usage and consumption being really the the pinnacle of what we want. We don't want customers buying things and then not getting value out of them. And so usage and consumption, it's tied into our compensation. It's tied into the way that we organize the business. The CSU being the largest part of the field organization today mimics that. And so um, just really, really cool. It's, it's coincidental uh, in, in some ways, but it's it's a really cool part of what I think has been this long journey for Microsoft and certainly for me in my career. And, uh, and I love the connection back to 
customer success way before customer success unit uh, existed. And, uh, and I think even though I'm in the stew and leading the stew today, um, I see all of our job uh, in the company and in the field as the success of the customer. And, uh, and so finding ways to do that, I think, are really, really important. Uh, but anyway, a little bit about the history and how it ties to current day. Well, first things first, let me congratulate you on a remarkable journey for that long of a time in an organization that has rapidly grown and you've been doing some really special and cool things. I, I love that you highlighted there the problem resolving element just in terms of supporting customers and supporting success along the way. In addition to that, being in a position now where we measured with it as well, right? But then you've yeah. also transitioned into some really cool leadership roles in addition to supporting customers, you know, carrying that responsibility for large amounts of, of teams and, and people made up of all different backgrounds, covering different regions, very diverse uh, teams. Like maybe share with me a little bit about, you know, those early days and how you've transitioned into some of those senior roles. Did you have to establish a brand, a platform for yourself, or did you just demonstrate results and resolving problems for customers like you've described? Yeah, uh, hey, fabulous question. The, um, the thing that I will share uh, I'm going to out myself a little bit here, but the thing that I will share is that um, I've never really had this well-structured career plan with milestones and stepping stones to get from one place to another. And uh, and I've always looked at people that have and said, geez, I need to do that. I need more structure. I need more of a plan. Um, and, and I'm not saying that I didn't, I wasn't planful. Of course, I was, you know, thinking about my career and and, and planning it. Um, I did actual career plans along the way, uh, but I always felt like I needed it to be more formal. And and one of the things that I've learned um, is that you don't always need it to be more formal. Um, uh, for people that are more structured or have a, I'll, I'll call it a more narrow path. In other words. They know what they want. They are on that journey to get what they want. And it's it's more linear kind of traditional career path. Uh, you can have a more formal path, right? It's it's clearer where you're going. For somebody like me that was technical and then I moved into a field-based technical role, but then I, I shifted horizontally and did a pure sales non-technical role. Um, then I went back into a technical capacity. Then I went back into sales. Then I did an international assignment. Like, you know, I was sometimes vertically advancing my career. So that taking your boss's job or moving up. Sometimes I was moving horizontally and taking a different subject matter. And I would say that that, that helped to uh, broaden me and deepen me. And I think that the ideal career path is one where you do both. You do some vertical and some horizontal. So think of it kind of like a stair step. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, timing is everything, <laughs> as I'm sure you and all of the listeners are, are aware. <laughs> um, and so you can't predict when this stuff is going to happen. When is the vertical thing going to happen? When is the horizontal thing going to happen? You, you just you can never predict that. You can plan for it. You can be ready for it but you can't predict it. And so this is why I think 
this is my theory anyway. This might be me justifying my informal nature, but but I do believe there's some truth to the fact that you can't always predict, and so you should be ready for it. You should be ready for the vertical when and if that presents itself. You should be ready for the horizontal when and if that presents itself, and you should be ready to accept the unknown if things happen at a sequence from what you're planning. And so I do think that this is important, right? This agility in career development is a really important piece. And one of the things that I did early on, um, I started really figuring out what I liked and what I didn't like about my role and past roles. And so this became my North Star. Like I knew things that I didn't like and those that would steer me away from stuff that I probably <laughs> wouldn't be successful at. Nice. Uh, and then I knew that generally what the things were that I did like, and that would steer me toward the things that I, I did like. And so you get into this mode of being able to, at least from a binary perspective, falls into the category of yes or no. <laughs> Do I like this? Is this something I should pursue or not? I, and, and as simple as that is, it's a really powerful uh, tool set. And so, so I would say that. And then the last thing I'll share is um, – I mean, I'm sure many of you have heard this uh, before, but I cannot highlight it enough. The most important thing that anybody can do to advance their career is to do a great job in their current job. And, and while this is common sense and this is something that we talk about regularly, I don't think that we put enough emphasis on it. And th this is a hallmark of success. And I don't think this is I know this is not just a Microsoft thing, but Doing a great job in your current job is – it's paramount. It's really, really important. And the best way to do that is to think about all of your roles, each of our own roles, in three phases. Uh, the first phase that you're in is the phase where you're learning your role. And this is where you're not great at your role, but that's okay. You're in phase one. You're learning your role. And, and embrace that. That learning is some of the best – stuff that you will get. Then the second phase is when you're doing your role, right? And you're achieving it, you're having results, you're having success. Um, and, and that's that part where you really start to feel comfortable uh, and have significant impact. And then the third phase is when you're excelling in your role and you're working beyond your role. And I'm using the term phase here, not years, because people go through these phases in different times. You know, some people are right. super fast, Oh, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a little slower. You know, my phases tend to be a year or more in, in a phase. Um, but the key is to get all three phases. And what I see often is that people will clip that third phase too short. And this is really important not to do that because that third phase, it's not just where you're excelling and working beyond role. It's where you're picking up skills beyond your role. It's where you pick up the things that, um, that, that allow you to move horizontally. Um, and and it, it's where that curiosity in your career can really blossom. And so if you're moving too fast and you're clipping off or removing altogether that third phase, you're missing out on some pretty cool career development stuff. And so anyway, just some thoughts that, that I have to go along with my informal so, career oh management gosh. approach. <laughs> <laughs> So much in there, Doug. I want to talk a little bit about leadership, but before I get into leadership, I just want to double-click on a couple of things that you've just ah, described, cool, right? cool. just in terms of your informal plan. 
you've had you've moved across different regions. You've been in EMEA, you've been in the US, and now you're responsible for the Canadian sub. Like, talk to me a little bit about the planning that went into that. Is it was it just an element of being ready and then taking on and that falling into the category of things that you do like versus the things that you didn't like? And then talk to me a little bit about that type of adaptability and transition when moving into those different regions. Yes, yes. So um, I think the thing that that stands out to me the most, the, the my, a learning that I had that I, I learned quite painfully that that I'll share um, is uh, so I went I went and took a role in EMEA, so Europe, Middle East, and Africa time zone for Microsoft, uh, leading uh, an Azure Global Black Belt team, so merging technology. Uh, great role, amazing experience for me professionally, amazing experience for my family personally. And um, we lived in London, but I had an EMEA role, so I got to travel all across Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And um, um, I had said at least five years prior to getting this role uh, that I wanted an international assignment. Right? I, I talked to my wife. You know, we we my wife is Canadian, and and um, uh, we 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 wanted to have this international experience, and um, and so I would say this as part of my career discussions with my manager, with with my mentors, um, and it got years into this. Hey, I was really really interested in international assignment, but it felt like I kept introducing this comment with zero <laughs> results or progress, and you know I, I had this one on one. Um, uh, four years in to wanting this path. Um, and I said, well, let me share with you. This was with, you know, I was on a skip level one on one. I said, I'll share with you my interests, but I've shared this so many times and I've had al almost no success here. And I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what I need to be doing. And this, this leader said to me, Doug, it's really difficult to help you if you can't be more specific. And, 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 and he said, let me be specific. <laughs> uh, I don't know where, what country you want to live in or not. I don't know what jobs you want. I don't even know what organizations in the company that you're thinking about. And so you're basically saying you want to go to another country and do something at some part of Microsoft. Like, this is yeah. really, really difficult for someone to help you with that because you're not specific enough. And this was right. a magical moment. And so I immediately said, OK, like I, I get it. Like I, I it, and, and I have shared this comment with so many people. And, and so it really does work. And while you will think that you're narrowing the options, then the, and I, even while I was doing this, I was thinking this. I'm narrowing the options. I don't want to narrow the options. I want to have a lot of options because I want this to happen. Right. And so, you know, it's natural to think, well, if I have more options, the chances of me landing one of those options is higher. Right. No, no. Counter and this is a counterintuitive thing. And the counterintuitive thing is you need to narrow in order to increase your options because people can't help you. And so this was like magic. Within a year of me narrowing, I had real conversations about real jobs. And while there was a couple that didn't work out, more because I was an American who sp speaks and, and at the time only spoke uh, one language, English, 
And while English is a good language, if you can only speak one language, um, it wasn't helping me <laughs> for an EMEA job. <laughs> and, um, and so there was a lot of limitations that I had. And there was local talent in market, even at Microsoft, or I should say, especially at Microsoft, that were much more qualified. And so it became more challenging for me. And so what I ended up doing was getting connected to a role in the organization that I was already a part of, getting connected to a job that I brought a lot of skills uh, to, uh, leveraging the fact that I was having some pretty cool Azure scale uh, experience in the US that I realized was highly valuable to EMEA that was not as advanced uh, on the cloud front. And so I just aligned around the expertise that was valuable, which offset the gaps that I had in my experience. And so that's the other part of this that I wanted to share is that find the things that make you unique and that will help you to overcome some of the transition barriers, like not being from the country or having language skills that you need or whatever the skill is. And so um, when you figure those things out, narrow and get pointy so people can help you and really try to align in a way that you bring value from your experience, things will open up for you and it, and it becomes much easier. It sounds to me like you really exercised your strengths and your uniqueness to help you build a trust within the organization and rally a team around you to believe in the vision that you were trying to establish for success. You also said something interesting there that at the time, you only spoke one language. What's the other language that you speak now? Or the other languages <laughs> that you speak now? <laughs> I, 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 I did say that. You're right. And I, and I probably, I definitely misspoke. Um, I can do greetings in so many languages. And I can bang my way around Spanish a bit. And um, what I learned, though, is that while language skills are absolutely important, uh, cultural agility is equally important. And, um, and I always considered myself as being very uh, culturally curious uh, and, um, and also uh, more culturally aware. And, and not that I had awareness of all these cultures, but that I had a true genuine desire and interest in cultures, even cultures that were very, very different, or, or especially cultures that are very different. And um, that became incredibly valuable to me. And, um, and I learned a ton as well. And that first year, uh, you know, traveling across EMEA, I learned how much I didn't know. I learned, uh, you know, I made so many mistakes um, in, in meetings, in front of customers. And, um, but I also learned that if you owned up to them and you apologized, you know, and you expressed intent and true desire and you brought a humbleness to your approach um and and, and we're just open with, with people that this is universal uh, humbleness care and and the ability to create trust between people you know showing intent and and bringing you know true honesty to conversations it transforms uh conversations and, and ultimately relationships, and it cuts across cultures. It will move across just about any culture. And, um, and that's a savior. That was a savior for me, but it's a really powerful thing to, to, to learn and I think to leverage. That's so well said, Doug. Cultural agility, right? And just that unanimous 
and nests amongst all human beings just in terms of communication, trust and care and empathy and just relationships, right? It's so important and I love the way you described it. I'm going to ask you a very intentionally loaded question about <laughs> leadership. <laughs> what does leadership mean to you? So um, I will start by something that I share regularly with with people. Um, you don't need a position in order to lead. Right. You don't need to be a formal organizational solid line manager, second line manager, third line manager, et cetera, uh, in order to lead. Uh, in fact, I would say it is easier to lead when you've got the organizational hierarchy than it is when you don't. <laughs> it's easier when you have the position of authority uh, because you've got the organization structure and authority behind you. It's harder to do it as an individual or it's harder to do it across teams where you don't have that hierarchical authority. Um, but it's arguably even more important then to do it. And so leadership to me isn't about a role. It's not about an organizational structure. Um, it's about a true intent uh, to provide insight, guidance, um, to make decisions, to influence decisions, and to have the opportunity to stand up for what you believe in, uh, especially in moments where you might be either alone or in the minority uh, on a topic that's really important in that minority position needs to be heard and um and and you know leadership matters most when that leadership is needed the most and it's typically also in times when it's the most difficult to deliver and so this is this is this is what leadership means to me um it is standing up for what you believe in uh when that is needed the most, and and that's often when it's the hardest. And um, but but we see such powerful examples, especially in these days and times when you know we're still in the midst of this pandemic. And while there's a lot of light at the end of the tunnel, um, it's a very very difficult time. And um, uh, and, and this difficulty is where we see this 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 big separation. You know, you see the the, the, the best of people uh, emerge during challenging times and you see the worst uh, of people emerge. And um, leadership is about that best part and bringing that best part forward. And, uh, uh, and we've seen so much of that during this past year and it's been just absolutely amazing. Someone in your role, right? You know, transitioning from your definition of leadership there, someone in your role, when you get into a leadership keynote or into a conference, it's very easy for you to talk a little bit about the business, about the portfolio, about customer transformation, digital transformation, cloud. I mean, there's a plethora of topics that you could talk about. I've had the opportunity to sit in on some of these keynotes that you've done. You've intentionally, it seems like, prioritized diversity and inclusion and self-care. Tell me a little bit about What's behind that, and why is it so important to prioritize that? Uh, I think that um, w one of the cool things about Microsoft is that we put such an emphasis on diversity, and we put such an emphasis 
uh, on inclusion. And while we say diversity and inclusion, the and I, a lot, and we put them together, they're two very, very different things. And, um, and so I will speak about them in, in, as individual things. On the diversity front, you know, we know the, the, the common dialogue that um, we bring the best of what we have to offer the world, our customers, our partners, um, if we represent the whole spectrum of the world. Like if we represent that at Microsoft, we will best bring the value that that stuff has to offer. Uh, we know that. We talk about that. We don't always do it. We, we always aspire to do it, but we don't always do it. But, um, but if we can represent that, then we can bring the best that we have to offer. And um, the best way to do that is to represent that diversity in our actual people. If we can have uh, a workforce that represents the full power of that diverse community, um, we can represent the things that, you know, that fall into bias and unconscious bias. And, um, and we can self-heal. We can understand the challenges that we face and overcome those challenges. Um, and so this is a really important aspect. I think the key here is we have to believe that nice. representing that full diversity is better outcomes for everything, even though it can be harder and often is harder. You, I think we have to believe that. And so that's a really strong position uh, uh, that, that I've heard from so many leaders that are really conscious of this and, uh, and something that I think is really powerful. Then on the other side, uh, inclusiveness, um, you know, a, a very different topic, but equally important. And the thing that stands out for me, um, and, and I've heard some just an amazing speakers talk about this, um, being authentic and bringing your true authentic self regardless of who you are and what that authentic self looks like um, is such a powerful element to inclusiveness. When you can do that, um, the, the impact that any individual can have when they're truly bringing their authentic self uh, is orders of magnitude stronger uh, than in constrained environments, than in environments where people aren't comfortable. And um, I mean, think about when, when you can be your authentic self, you don't have to think about uh, who you are and what message you want to deliver. You can you can move with a pace and a speed and a, and a natural uh, cadence uh, that allows you to bring much more effective and enabling kind of work that you don't you wouldn't normally have if if you're second guessing every step that you put forward or worse if you're not bringing forward your ideas and and your insights and your perspectives uh, but if you bring forward your your true authentic self your your ability to have impact uh, and to shape others it gets back to that leadership comment this is the thing that I think will really create an environment where everyone is enriched by that authenticity. And um, it also creates an environment where people um, uh, enjoy and create passion for what they're doing in a way that that passion gets aligned to the work 
and then that work gets enabled by the passion and then you get into that flywheel where work stops looking so much like work <laughs> and and it looks a whole lot more like the cool things that you want to do with your life not just your job and you get into this this cycle of um, you know being able to have impact on a whole nother level and 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 I know I'm sharing some aspirational kind of comments please, here please um but I've seen it, you know, we've all seen it. We don't see it enough, but we've all seen what that looks like. We've also felt it. And then, and this is, you know, this is, this is the magical thing when you can get it, when you can get the culture right, you can live it, you know, in a way that you can uh, recognize where we failed in a way, in a respectful way so that we can improve. When you get to that point, this is where all the good stuff lives, and it's it's it is it is the thing that makes not just organizations more productive and effective. It certainly does that, but it makes people better. It makes people better people. It makes you know the the the, the lives that we live richer. It, it allows us to do things that um, we never would have originally uh, assumed that you know we we could do, and and that to me is the I think that's why we're all here, and we don't all we don't always achieve this, but it's very very inspiring to to think about having this opportunity. And um, uh, there are a lot of places that that don't have the the kind of culture that Microsoft does, um, and it's one of the reasons that I'm in this company and have been in this company for so long is that um, uh, it's it's an amazing uh, place. We don't always get it right. You know, Satya talks about the lived experience isn't always like the aspired, uh, the aspirational experience. Um, but we're working at it. We're working at it every day, and um, and and that's that's why I'm here. That that's why I think a lot of people are here, and it's it's amazing. Being your authentic self is one thing, right? But creating the space for everyone else to be their authentic selves is another thing, and being intentional about it is so crucial. I remember in the early days when you and I had a one-on-one, -on -one, I so distinctly remember the first conversation we've had where you really created the space for me. You literally like asked me my family's names, like everything about me, and you wrote them down, and you just created that moment for me. And you had me, like you literally had me, right? And just in terms of me being myself with you and being comfortable with you, right? So it was a really cool space, and it's really amazing for me to hear you say this because I watch you live it. Uh, what you execute on it, right? And so I just wanted to share that with you and give you a massive kudos to that. You know, this really, when you talk about diversity and inclusion, it really stands and it really overlaps as well with what you were saying from a leadership perspective, just in terms of, of being in the hierarchy, but standing up for what you believe in and standing up for what is right. Oftentimes, when you take that type of approach and you stand up for what is right and do it for so long and be so consistent with it, there's failures that pop up along the way. Talk to me a little bit about that. Like, How do you deal with failures and how do you continue to plug forward and keep that consistent approach on standing up for what is right? I, I love this question and, and, and in, in part because I don't think we talk about this enough, right? This is learning. Think about learning, like true learning. I'm not talking about scoring, <laughs> right? Growth mindset is about learning, not about scoring. <laughs> Our, our school systems are still set up to do a lot of scoring, <laughs> um, and, and I think that's an, an incorrect way to to achieve learning. Um, 
but um, I think when, when I when I think about learning, it is a series, an ongoing uh, series of failures, right? And you 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 learn the most uh, from uh, times when you when you get it wrong or, or, or when you don't get it completely right. Um, these are the learnings that stick with us. And so, so first I'll just say that, that failure is such a powerful learning vehicle. Uh, there is uh, statistics that show that, that there is a significantly larger chance of learning that occurs through failure than through success. And, and, and so we should celebrate this more. We should talk about this more. And so, so I, I, I like this topic. Uh, for me, um, you know, I, I can think specifically, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share one experience around failure. Um, so uh, as a manager uh, of people and a leader of people, um, some of my biggest successes have, have been uh, around people, people leadership and development, helping people to grow and develop and seeing them take on other things. You know, we use this term exporting talent, not hopefully not out of the company, but out of our own organizations and into other roles and other parts of the company and magic happens. Like, you you know, you see people that can, can just blossom. I um, have had a, a lot of those experiences and They've been magical. They are the things that I will probably remember most uh, about my time here. Um, but to to your question, um, I I have gained some skills that have come through some hard knocks. <laughs> um, and uh, one of the things that I failed at early on that that has stuck with me is not being as open and honest with somebody on an area or areas where they can improve their performance and not being direct enough. And I don't, and I don't mean uh, being mean or, or aggressive. It, it's, it's none of that. It's not being direct enough um, in, in a way is not caring. And, and, and I've used this analogy before. I, I have three children and nobody cares more about the development of an individual than a parent does for their child, right? And, right. and any, anybody, even someone that's not a parent, uh, has a parent. <laughs> so you know as being both a child or a parent or both what this is like, right? And so – but think about a parent's role. A parent's role is to help guide the child. It is most important – when the, that guidance involves failure or, or the need to correct behavior or change behavior or uh, make improvements, right? And, and so I think about times when I have gone into my child's bedroom to have that really hard but important conversation about something that they didn't do so well, right? <laughs> Especially if it, in, if it deals with a value that – you know, I can't believe my kid did this thing. <laughs> Where did they learn this from? Um, but when you go into that conversation as a parent, all you're thinking is, how do I have this conversation, maintain the, the clarity, uh, provide the guidance, 
be firm and, and, and use, you know, really firm language and be caring, right? It's, it's, and be caring, not, but be caring and think about that setting, right? Um, Nobody cares more about the development of that child than the parent. And yet the parent has to be direct. And so back to your question, I have let people down in the past by not being direct enough, by not being clear enough. And it's it's not something that you do without caring. It's something you do with caring. And so those connections that you make between it's okay to be direct and firm. And also care like you can tie those things together. And so single most important failure, and it's happened a number of times for me, is that one. And, um, you know, and I, and I sit here and tell you, uh, Rashawn, that I, I don't know that I, I still get it all the way right. In fact, I'm confident I don't uh, always get it right. But it is the learning that I think is the most important and the applying that learning going forward so that you improve. And so that, so that, w- that would be my that's, single <laughs> That's amazing. It's so well put. Thank you so much. I know we're coming up on time and what an excellent place to leave it. I got to tell you, um, you know, what really stands out for me is just your overall characteristics, the care, the intentionality, the curiosity, the empathy. And above and beyond that, the humility that you have as a leader really, really, really shines. And thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I'm certain it's going to be very valuable for everyone listening and watching. So bottom of my heart, thank you, Doug. Thanks for the opportunity. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to um, to bring insights to others. It's, uh, it is absolutely a powerful uh, way to, to have impact. And, uh, uh, and it's cool. It's cool to be a part of it with you. And uh, I just wanted to say thanks. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you.